what is good? Welcome to Spirit Bill Real Talk with Juliana. I am your host, Juliana Page, and I am so excited that you are here. I am an author, a speaker, and a professional life coach, but really, I am here to give you practical wisdom that you can integrate into every area of your life so that you can thrive and not just survive. So if you are ready to live a spirit-led life and level up your inner game so that you can win in your outer game. Let's dive right in. What is good, everybody? We are going to start today's message by jumping right into a word. This is one that you probably have heard before, and it'll be interesting to see what it brings up for you, but I will provide some context. So the verse that we're going to is John 20, 24 through 28. John 20, 24 through 28. It says this, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Woo, that'll preach right there. You know, one of the things that's most interesting about this is that there's nowhere in the Bible that says that Thomas is actually doubting Thomas. He's never called that. That's something that we've done as a culture. And the interesting thing about this is that many of us, many of us, maybe we don't proclaim it, maybe we're kind of undercover doubters, but we doubt, particularly when times and when seasons are very tough, we doubt. And we live in a time where I found some statistics very interesting that 16 billion was spent on plastic surgery in a year. And 81% of girls want to be thinner. They're more afraid of not being thin than losing a family member or than, than some world war, right? They're, they're more afraid of not being thin, okay? So for some reason, we, we really just are compelled to show the, the best that we have and hide the rest, right? An example, our first photo that we take is never the one that is posted on social media. It's number 352 that ends up making it to social media, right? We really want to show and demonstrate that we're significant all the while we are full of shame and we're hiding, right? Like there is a reason that we do that. There's a reason that we do that. There's a reason that we're compelled to show ourselves in a certain light and make sure that we're not perceived in this light or portrayed in such a way, right? It's wild to me. But if you are a believer, being perfect, here, here's, here is what can bring a heck of a lot of freedom. Being perfect isn't an option. 
It's not, right? So it's really interesting to, to consider that our fakeness, right, is actually what's causing more sickness in the world. And we're living in this constant state of stress and of worry and of hiding. And that is never what God wants for us. And that was never his plan for us, right? And all of this pressure, it causes us to hide when all that we're actually wanting and craving is transparency. We're crying out for transparency, but we're caught up in hiding and they don't attract one another. When you're in hiding, you don't attract transparency, right? It's only when you're actually transparent that you can be transparent with others and actually have transparent people in your life, right? So, oh man, Uh, an example of this, which I think is kind of funny. I'll take you to, and you might know where I'm going with this, but I will take you to Genesis. This is an example of our first Photoshop, okay? (laughs) All right, so this is Genesis 3-7. Then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay, so they were walking around naked, feeling themselves, right? And then all of a sudden, after temptation, right, they have recognized that they're naked. But what God does is he goes into deep questioning with him. Now, he knows exactly what's happening, but he's asking them questions to reveal their their shame or their thinking process. And God went to work on their behalf. Because what is that demonstrating? That shame is a lie. Shame is a lie. So what we're going to dive into very quickly on today, because this is one that is a deep message and can go really far, but I feel like it's relevant and timely for right now. We're going to talk about our scars because it's through our scars that we understand the character of God and we can share Jesus in the world. Okay, so I'm going to walk you through a couple of points and share some of my life story for your entertainment. And then I also invite you to take a look at your own story so that you can see how this plays out in your own life. Where are you actually wanting significance, but you're living in shame? Where are you denying your significance? Because that's not something that we generate. It's just what we already are, right? So where are you denying that because of shame? Okay. So The first point is that behind every scar is a story. Behind every scar is a story. I mean, it's kind of like tattoos, right? Like when we see one, we're like, oh, like what happened? What does that mean? Right? What season of your life did you get that? Oh, you know, like it, it really is an invitation for a story, right? And it's also confirmation, which is so beautiful, that healing has taken place, right? There once was pain. There once was some sort of cutting, perhaps. There was bleeding. There was woundedness, right? And the wound has healed. There has been a healing process that took place. And whoever is carrying the scar is not the same as they once were. With me? So behind every scar is a story. And Isaiah 53, 5 puts this so plainly. Let me pull that up. All right, here we are. So Isaiah 53, 5. 
but he was wounded for our transgressions. So Jesus being wounded for our transgressions, wounding happens on the outside. So that means that he actually endured physical pain, right? Now the other one, he was bruised for our iniquities. Bruising happens from the inside out. So a lot of times bruising can be emotional pain, okay? And a lot of times that's not the pain that we can see. I think you may have seen memes before or these different pictures on Instagram, but it's like if if we could see the pain of emotional abuse or psychological abuse, right? It's just as bad as physical abuse. And if we could see that on the body, wow, right? It would be traumatizing, probably. Okay, so he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Okay, so the encouragement there is that anything that we've ever gone through, whether it's physical, emotional, those scars, we're we're not alone, right? Anything that we could ever go through, Jesus has already gone through. So we have... A comforter. We have somebody who is near to the brokenhearted. We have somebody, right, that that can share not only in our pain, but can bring us through the process back into hope so that we can share this hope, right? So that's the first one. Number two is that, well, let me say this too. Behind every scar is a story. So funnily enough, if that's even a word, funny enough, there we go. <laughs> My brain was scanning for the word. So funny enough, I have a crazy story about scars. So one of them, I had this elementary best friend, and we just did all the things together. We both were raised in the country in in different parts of town, so it was really hard for us to get together, but we'd see each other at school, and occasionally on weekends we could hang out. And we just had a well of creativity that together we would tap into and do all sorts of things, right? So on one particular day, she wanted to go bike riding. She was in sort of like a transition space. They were in an apartment while building a new home. And so we were at this apartment. I think she probably just felt bored. (laughs) So she wanted to go bike riding. And I'm like, cool, like I'm down for the ride. Let's do this thing. So we hop on bikes. And originally I'm on, I guess it was her brother's bike and it was bigger, right? Like you just, there was no amount of adjusting because at this time we're in third grade. No, what grade were we in? I think we're in fifth grade. Okay. But at any rate, smaller humans, right? So there was no amount of adjusting that would make that bike work for me as far as being able to ride it. Like my feet couldn't really reach the pedals. It just was not a fun thing. You couldn't adjust the seat to where it needed to be. So she agreed to switch so that I could ride her bike. So I get on her bike and her bike is old school. Okay. It's the one with like the swoop over handlebars. It's really hard to pull back the brakes. Um, And it's a pretty good looking road bike, but again, an older bike. So I'm like, cool. And again, it's not with the features that maybe you're accustomed to as far as just braking. I don't think I really had a bike that I was braking on my handlebars (laughs) on the opposite side of the handlebar. So at any rate, we're on this. I'm following her. We're kind of like riding bikes to the city and we're at a pretty intense road and we somewhat get split up. So she crosses the street, we get a light, right? So I'm on one side, she's on the other, and she has taken us to this hill, okay? That 
I guess it's kind of like a park too, because basically you, you go down this hill and then there is a little docking area and you can go out on this beautiful lake. So her idea of a fun time I am witnessing as I am on one side of the street and she continues is to just go as fast as you can on this bike down this hill. Okay, so I am realizing that this is the plan <laughs> and I'm watching her and she seems successful, but I am freaking out on the inside, right? Like sweaty palms. I'm just like, this is not a good idea. This doesn't feel right. Like I just had a very eerie feeling. So I finally crossed the street and I'm at the top of this hill and I'm like, am I going to do this? Like, what do we do here? Like, right? Like I'm just scanning my brain. And despite all of that, I cruise through it. I start going down this hill and it takes more than no more than three seconds. And I'm racing down this hill on just like pavement. Right. And I'm like, oh, dang, like I'm picking up speed so fast. Like this is not a good plan. Like I've, I could see where this is going to end up. So my my thought in the moment is we'll just go over into like this grassier area because that'll at least like slow down the speed a little bit, right? Because it's going to be a little bit bumpier and like cool. So I cruise over into the grass. And what I didn't know is not only does it like have a downhill, but there's kind of like a dip and then another little hill. So because of the speed and the way that I hit this, I fly off of this bike and I don't know at, at this point, but I literally fly off this bike and at some point hit the pavement at the bottom of this hill. So I somehow end up at the bottom of the hill and I am knocked unconscious. Okay. So this is for my friend, of course, a traumatic event. And the next thing I remember is I'm awake. I'm in somebody's lap. They had a flannel shirt on. Apparently they're just like holding me. Um, there's an ambulance there and I am being sort of wrapped up to some degree and slightly conscious. Do you know what I mean? When you're just kind of like waking up again, you're like, what is happening? My friend is in tears, bawling her eyes out. She thinks I'm dying and that I'm never going to see her again or that I'm going to hate her and our friendship is over. I apparently, and even my dad reminds me to this day, I apparently, when I get into this ambulance and I'm sitting there and I can see all these people around me, I ask, am I going to die <laughs> and am I going to have brain damage? And that's when they knew that like miraculously I was fine, even though flying and having this huge impact. So at any rate, I have a scar on my head from that. I have a huge scar on my wrist from that where they literally at the emergency room had to scrub gravel out of it with a toothbrush. I have scars on my knee and just in like interesting places from that event. And the healing process was insane. Like I remember coming home from that and basically terrified my younger sister because it literally looked like the walking dead. Like I was an event to look at, right? Like black eyes, beat up lip, like all the things, right? Like I just looked like I was a zombie. And it obviously changed life there. For a bit and I had to be woken up throughout the night because if you have some sort of concussion then somebody has to keep checking on you to make sure that you're good so at any rate the healing process of that was wild but the story there right the story there is really really powerful and it's actually something to this day that we can laugh about because what happened for my dad he apparently was out mowing the lawn uh 
how many minutes? He's probably about 40 minutes from where we were. So he's out mowing the lawn and he gets a phone call saying that your daughter has been in a bike accident. She's at the emergency room. That's all they told him. And he is in the medical field. So that freaked him out. And he ended up coming to the hospital. And I think I said similar things to him because I didn't believe the doctors or whoever was with me. Like, am I going to die or am I going to have brain damage? Because nobody would answer me. They would just laugh at me, right? So to this day, that's something that we can laugh over. And believe it or not, my dad, who um, he's my adoptive father. So we actually grew closer because No more than two weeks later, he actually flew off a bike as well. (laughs) So we, we were able to go through a bit of a healing process together and also have this message about getting back on the bike. And just it's an interesting way that we were bonded over shared pain with me. So behind every scar is a story. Thank God that healing took place. And isn't it miraculous how God can work that for good, right? Like even now, that friend is somebody that I'm still connected with from childhood, right? So, so powerful. So very, very cool. The next one, number two, scars shape us. And this is Colossians 3.12 that I'm going to take us to. Colossians 3.12. So this one says this, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. There's some verses too that say discipline or self-control. So why am I sharing that? Um, let me see. So our scars shape us. And why am I sharing about clothing ourselves? Because basically, when we are scarred, it it compels us to, to heal, to really uh, look for or cling to a new perspective, like we're searching, right? We don't want to feel that kind of pain again. So we're searching for answers or explanations or meaning or hope. So we're given a whole new wardrobe, which is really, really powerful. So it is scars, and I don't know if you know this to be true, but it's our scars that shape compassion in us, right? I mean, we could say to the best of our ability that, oh yeah, like we have all of these beautiful things and let me read them to you again. We can say that we have all these beautiful things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, right? But it is often until we are wounded to some degree or suffer some pain that we actually understand those experientially, right? So there was a really tough breakup that I walked through that shattered me (laughs) from the inside out. There was so much emotional bruising, a lot of psychological abuse. It was just very traumatic to walk through. And it's something that broke me open and led to my salvation experience. Um, And what happened in that time is I was led to serve. I was led to get rooted into a Celebrate Recovery ministry and walk different women through a Christ-centered recovery program. But what I didn't realize was that was a setup for my own healing. (laughs) So... The amount of patience, the amount of compassion, the amount of humility, all of this, it was like I literally, that was happening. The old 
way of me showing up and being in the world was gone and the new was here and the new is this life with all of these characteristics in it so i was literally learning how to put on and operate in an entirely different wardrobe and our scars are what shape us to do that they don't define us they don't define us and i will prove that to you that they don't define us so that's in second corinthians 5 17. dun 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 okay 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So we're not defined, thank God, by any pain, any wounding, anything that we've walked through. It does shape us, but it doesn't define us. Okay? So the last point that I want to share is that our scars shift our focus to our Savior, right? They shift our focus to our Savior because up until that point, our our life, right? Like our life was probably consumed by our own understanding, by our own needs, by our own selfishness to some degree, right? We maybe didn't recognize our need for a Savior until we were dropped to a certain low. And then we were dropped beyond that, right? Has anyone been there where you're at an all-time low and then you somehow get lower? You're like, what? Like, I already thought I was low. Now I'm lower? Like, how does this work? So that can happen. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 is the one that we had just shared about the old being gone and the new being here. But 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, my grace Oh my goodness, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Okay, so God's power, you've probably heard it this way, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. So the minute that we're down to nothing, God is up to something. But a lot of times when we're full of pride, when we're full of self when we're full of our own plans and our own goals and our all of our own things that make up our agenda, we get caught up in perfectionism. We get caught up in hiding. We get caught up in the pressure and the stress, right? We get caught up in doubt and fear and unbelief, right? We don't believe that, that, that there's this need for a savior, right? Until we do. <laughs> Until we do, which is which is Thomas's story in a lot of ways, right? Like, I've been shattered, right? I've just encountered such discouragement, such, such disappointment. And yet, there was such a beautiful and loyal and really tender bond between Thomas and Jesus. And Jesus came back just to encourage. He didn't judge. He didn't criticize. Just to encourage Thomas to simply believe right? To simply believe. So the point being, we're all on a journey of being perfected, right? We're all on a journey. We're working out our salvation, right? It, yes, we, we can be saved, but we still work out our salvation. We, we work, meaning we walk out this new life in Christ, right? Our old nature, our old ways of showing up don't work anymore. So we have a new operating system. We start operating in that, and that's new. And we can operate in that wonderful new every day. Okay? So yes, we're on a journey to being perfected, but perfectionism 
is what denies the need for God. So there is a difference. The shift that we can make, and a lot of times it's our scarring, it's our wounding, it's our pain that does this. It shifts us from feeling broken and inadequate and unworthy to being empowered because God takes us on a journey. He takes us on a healing process, right? Or it shifts us from shame where we feel like we've lost our voice or we can't speak up or we need to hide that because somehow now we're we're broken or we're no longer valuable because we had this experience or we have this scar or we don't have perfect skin or we don't have Botox or whatever it is, right? So it shifts us from shame to this powerful redemption story. And that is our testimony. It's the testimony of what God has done, okay? Essentially what happens is all of these gaps, all of these holes, all of this wounding that we experience, grace fills the gap. This undeserved mercy, right? This undeserved favor, grace fills the gap. And our scars serve a purpose. They, they bring us to a place that we seek for a healer. We seek for a savior. We seek for an answer, right? And there is a man that is all of those things to all people. He is literally all things to all people, and that's Jesus, right? And we probably... We're not humble enough to recognize that. We weren't in pain enough to have that desperation or that hunger, right? And people, here's the thing, probably right now more than ever, it's always been true, but probably right now more than ever, people need to hear your story and see your scars and believe that God is real. They need that. That's not just a luxury. They need that. This is literally a life or death need, right? So my encouragement on today is to remember these things. A lot of times we are living in shame, living in doubt, living in fear, living in unworthiness, living in hidden pain, emotional pain, right? And we're pretending or perfecting our significance because ultimately on the inside, we don't believe that we are, all right? But the shift that can happen is actually being honest about your scars because of what they've done and how they've served you and helped you. Rather than viewing them as good, bad, right, or wrong, look at the lessons they taught, look at the journey that they invited you on, look at who you've become because of the process that you walk through, right? So remember, behind every scar is a story, not only for you, but for everyone you encounter. And we all have scars. Scars shape us, but they don't define us, right? And scars shift our focus back to our Savior because our work here is to reflect and to share the good news and to share Jesus with the world, right? To give them hope, right? But we can't do that if we're so caught up in something or things that are so much less than, right? So we're all on this journey and we're all being perfected, which is why the same grace that we've been given, we can extend other people, but it's perfectionism. It's the selfishness, the stubbornness, this leaning on our own understanding that denies the need for God and really prevents us from allowing him to not only heal us, but flow through us to others. Okay, And if we are ambassadors for him, if we are representatives of heaven, that is a huge process that, that needs to take place there and definitely a heart healing journey as well. So keep this in mind on today. If you have any scars that you've been ashamed of or if you've been in hiding or living in shame, 
my encouragement to you is to see the beauty of those for God's power is made perfect in whatever weakness you're experiencing and to remember that people need to hear your story and see your scars and believe that God is real. So I hope this message blessed you guys. If you have been blessed by this and moved by this, make sure that you subscribe if you haven't. You can also share this with a friend so that they can be encouraged as well. You can visit me and any resources that I have available over on julianapage.com. There's books over there. There's courses over there. There's coaching programs. So make sure that you go and check out julianapage.com. And you can also follow and connect with me on social media on Instagram at Miss Juliana Page, MS Juliana Page. All right, guys, until next time, stay blessed.